I'm Tommy Salmons. This is year zero. We're brought into this world naked, helpless. We cling to our mother's bosom for nourishment. We look to our father for security. Our grandfather is there for wisdom. And yet, by the age of five, the people that we trust cast us into this prison of re-education. And from the age of five to the age of 18, we're forced to attend this prison and be brainwashed into the consciousness of the state to become part of the collective. A productor, productive member of society. If you refuse to go, you're called truant. You watch your parents get put in jail due to your decisions. And you begin to see that there is collective punishment for individual action. In the process, you're, you're searching, you're, you're trying to decide and figure out who you are as an individual. And you're constantly told that your individuality is less important than the well-being of the collective. That there's a public good that must be adhered to and that it is your responsibility to be part of that public good. And that if you refuse to be part of that public good, then you are an outcast. You're ostracized from society. This refusal to adhere to the narrative of the public good renders nonviolent people to lives in cages, separated from their families. They don't have the freedoms to earn a living and to care for their children, to care for their wives, their extended family, their brothers, their sisters, sick parents, sick grandparents. They're told because they don't adhere to the narrative and to the standards set before them by another human being that they are not necessarily incapable, but inadequate. They are inconsequential. 
their collective family is meant to suffer because they would not fit the mold that was laid out before them. And in order to sell the idea of the mold, we're reminded constantly that this mold is malleable in some ways, but there are parameters on which this mold is malleable too. You can move the mold so far to the right or so far to the left and be accepted by your the society and still be f functional and and cooperative and <clears throat> uh, fit into this <clears throat> mold by degrees. But if you move too far to the right or too far to the left, and this isn't politically right or left, this is just mobility, decision-making, then you're outside of this mold and you must be punished. But at the same time, these same children that are being forced into this mold are being told this is the land of the free, the home of the brave. As fear is pumped into their veins day after day after day, fear of the other, fear of disease, fear of nature, constantly, day after day after day, they're being fed these fears for 13 years. And then they're expected to make a decision. Do you continue to voluntarily <clears throat> lock yourself into a state-run penitentiary for re-education? Or do you go try to fit within the parameters of the mold and venture out on your own and find a job? And more and more today, the youth have been convinced that the only way to fit within these parameters is to further enslave themselves to the re-education camps. So they move on to universities. And more fear is pumped into them. More advanced theories on why they should be afraid is pumped into them. In this entire time, whether it be 13 years or 20 years, of this education, they're taught that the only solution to save them from these evils that they are taught to fear their entire lives is the benevolence of the state. The state will save you. And if the state does wrong, it is your duty to 
ask somebody to save the state from itself. You go out there and you vote so the state stays pure and it stays uh, – it becomes a mirror image of the societal ideals And Breitbart had rightfully said that politics are downstream from culture without rightfully explaining why that is so. Because those that are making up the culture, those that are involved in the ideals of society and interacting in society and the most prominent figures that are setting the stage for the culture are most likely the ones that are voting. Those that are preoccupied with their individuality are less likely to pay attention or see the importance of the electoral process and their and and the importance or the the relevance of the privilege of voting as they sell it and i'm not making an argument so much for voting as i'm dissecting in some way at least in my own mind, what this system means and what it is. I was talking to my dad the other day and the the, um, conversation turned to the Roman Empire in uh, Caesar, more specifically, and Napoleon. And he said, you know, people underestimated their abilities, and that was their greatest weapon. And, you know, to overlook the possibility that one man could control the United States government and, and move the United States government and pull its strings in such a way to underestimate that man and any one man's ability would be a mistake. And I thought about it and I see the relevance of that argument and that, yes, if, if, if you have a man that, that has an extreme amount of power and an extreme amount of influence, um, that influence and power could be manipulated in such a way to, to rule, to, to control the entire system. But I think what, what has differentiated the United States from the Roman center or or uh, France under Napoleon is the idea. 
when you're taught about the Constitution and the American system, it's always sold to you that this I this this system is is constructed around the idea and principles that of freedom is what they say, but that's that blueprinted the constitution and this one idea the idea of the American experiment and this American exceptional exceptionalism the idea that it's this extraordinary extraordinarily beneficial system that is in itself based upon benevolence and the greater good. And that all men are created equal, but by, by acknowledging that all men are created equal, we are acknowledging that all men must adhere to this system, that this system is the greatest system ever created in the history of man. And that this system, if spread equally around the world, would create the most prosperous world in history. And so when you're, when you're comparing and contrasting the Napoleon Empire or the Ottoman Empire or um, ancient Egypt or the Roman Empire or Britain, you know, medieval Britain to modern America, I think the one thing America figured out was constructing a system around the head of state as a deity, as a god, to be worshipped by the people is a mistake because the man must die. And when the man dies, belief starts to wane. The second emperor comes around and maybe people are still pretty confident in him, but they are acutely aware that he's not the original Caesar. That he's not the emperor that constructed this system and fought for the greater good. We see this uh, with North Korea, with uh, Kim Jong-un and Kim Jong-il. And what was it? Kim, Kim Il-sung, I think was the grandfather's name. That, yeah, we still believe in the system, but what is the system without the man? And this man falls short of our 
expectations of the man. And when the American system was created, the God was no longer the head of the state. There were, was no longer a king to rule for life, be dethroned, and at the dethroning, the crumbling of the civilization begins. Rather, they decided that the system itself was the benevolent one. The system itself was the God to be worshipped. The system itself set upon a throne as an idea. And all, all among the people shall pledge allegiance to its flag. To the idea that the system is the most imperfect what was it? The, the the best imperfect system out there, I think is how I've heard it described. But it becomes a contest of perfecting that imperfect benevolence that 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 greater good that 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 goodness that just falls short of perfection and that the system is in its in and of itself a good that just needs tweaking that no matter who the head of the state who no matter who the head of that system is that as long as that system continues to grow and continues to to chug along that everything will be just fine that the benevolence and the omnipotence of that system is of such that any person that falls within the jurisdiction of that system is one of the chosen people. And that we should be evangelizing the world through this system, with this system. And in order to evangelize the world, we must take more people into this system and teach them this system. And they must become Americans and learn this system so that they can tell their friends and family in other countries of the wonders of this American system. And inch by inch, the world is changed. And this system like a cancer spreads over the globe and encompasses all that live on this earth. And this is, this is the dream of the progressive and the conservative. They, they have different ways of achieving these goals. 
They have different ways of going about it. And they fight over the methods to which they adhere to this system and they use this system for the good of mankind. They assume in their search for power over the system that all of mankind wishes to be part of the system. They wish to be part of the system. They just don't know it. They haven't experienced the benevolence and the good of the system, no matter how many evils they can point out to. A small tweak will fix that evil because overall it is a good. And therefore it is our duty to make these little adjustments and fine tune this imperfect system in creating the perfection in which we seek so that all of mankind sees the beauty of the system and sees its benevolence and that it's worthy of our humility and our worship, our respect, our praise, our prayers to the system are asking of the system to heal all the sick and care for all of the poor could be accomplished if only the world would submit to the system's benevolence, to the system's superiority above all else. And every four years, these dogmatic worshipers of the state get together and they argue over who should be in charge of this system, who better represents this system in order to continue evangelizing the world of its grandiosity and its wonder and its human rights achievements and civil rights and everything else. And in the meantime, there are several of us, several million of us, sitting onto the sidelines saying, you people are fucking crazy. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't some fucking beatific uh, tool that can be used to, you know, to just suddenly enter a utopian world through it's uh, through it being dispersed. Like you, you can't just disperse these ideas among the world and voila, perfection. We sit back and we watch 
and we see the the Bidens and the Warrens and the Trumps and the Clintons and and we're like, you true believers are extremely dangerous to liberty, to freedom. And they say no by guaranteeing health care, by changing regimes around the world and killing innocent people in order to install a man that believes in our system, we are spreading freedom. There is a freedom to submission in that if you don't have to worry about these things, if you don't have to worry about food and clothing and shelter, then you are truly free. If you don't have to worry about drugs coming into your home and your child becoming an addict, you are truly free. You are free from the concerns of life. And this is what we're fighting. And I tell everybody any chance I get, voting has accomplished a lot less than activism ever will. But the activism that takes place, the activism on the street is such of begging the system to grow, to expand, to further ensnare itself itself into our lives, to become more benevolent, to become more good, to tweak and spread its tentacles around the world even further. Nobody is out there protesting the war in Yemen. The war in Syria, the war in Somalia, what they are protesting is the lack of forcing other people that think differently than them to adhere to their beliefs. What they are out there, I keep wanting to say activisming. But that's not a word, is it? What they're out there asking for is more state control and more state power. That they think Donald Trump was a function of the state not having enough power. And that we shouldn't be questioning whether or not Brennan should have come up with a scheme to undercut the presidency of Donald Trump, that Brennan, as his role within the system, is a more enlightened individual. But if all the enlightened individuals are part of this system, then why even elect? Why even vote? Why not just appoint one of the system's existing bureaucrats that are more enlightened and more understanding 
of how this system should be evangelized around the world. Why do we even vote on this? Do we even have the right to question whether or not Elizabeth Warren or Joe Biden is more capable of utilizing the system in a way that is utterly good? Do we even have the right to question whether or not the police should be shooting unarmed men or women? Are we really the state? And as the state, should we just fall in line and obey the edicts of those in D.C. or those in the state capitals? Or do we have the right to question and to challenge the system that is just a state? That is just the use of force on nonviolent people to reach their ends. See, this is a struggle, and it has been a struggle, for hundreds of years. The liberals in Prussia went through the same thing. And when I say liberals, I mean it in the classical sense of the word, those that were fighting against state intrusion, those that were fighting against enriching the state, those that were more in line with the individual rights and individual individualism that libertarians adhere to and they called themselves the progressive party now it's funny that the democratic party which if you follow the lineage of these thoughts can be traced back to LaSalle in Prussia is somehow has co-opted the terms progressive and liberal. And in many ways, it appears through Nicholas Sarwak, they're attempting to co-opt libertarian, although I think the conservatives like Glenn Beck and Dan Bongino may have beat them to that. Leaving those of us who actually believe in freedom with no meaningful labels that every time a label that we 
meaning from our thought process, we, not we as a collective holding hands, singing Kumbaya, um, that we bring into the public consciousness the first thing those that believe in the benevolence of the state, whether it be the Democrats or the Republicans, the conservatives or the progressives, the first thing they do is co-opt that, that term. And that's because the idea of, of individual liberty and the idea of individual freedom is much more of a threat to the powers of the system, the powers of the state that were built around the idea of benevolence than it is to change the direction or the processes of the system. See, when you look at the elect the elections, you have the Democrats and the Republicans, the progressives, the status quo and the conservatives, so to speak. I'll separate them like that, just make it easy for everybody. Then they are fighting over the process of the state and the and the extent as to which the powers will be used. But those of us that are liberty-minded people aren't fighting that battle. We are not only questioning the power itself, but we are challenging that power. We are trying to dissolve that power of the state, to rid the state of these powers in order to claim autonomy over our own lives. Now, there are fence sitters, people that fall somewhere in between the dissolution of the state and the utilization of the powers of the state. Usually these people are a little bit, they have less time to be involved and to um, to study and to read and to find out what's happening in the world to 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 get into the depths and and the 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 real roots of philosophies and so they are willing and able to sympathize with our plight as well as the plight of someone that falls within the realm of the system. The problem being is we're working outside of a system that is working to control us so my question I guess would be here as we 
as I'm moving into closing up. And I know I've been kind of stumbling over words and I've been thinking about this for a couple of days and I've been trying to decide how I wanted to ingratiate myself into this conversation because I wasn't really positive as to how, even how I really feel about it. Whereas I believe there's a respect to be given to agorism and totally ignoring the state and turning your back on the state and walking away. And I understand the desire to do that. Is it truly reasonable to expect that that state doesn't still at some point in time step on your fucking throat, right? Is it reasonable to expect that state to leave you alone and to say, well, you don't bother me. I don't bother you, right? Because in some places, getting off the grid has become illegal. You get fined for using solar panels instead of the electrical grid. You can't, they, you don't have the freedom to dig a well or collect rainwater. That you are forced onto the city water. So it's almost as if turning your back on the state and walking away isn't effective. That eventually that state sneaks up on you when you're not paying attention and steps on your fucking throat. So how does, how do those of us who believe in freedom move forward? Where do we go from here? Do we begin activism? Do we, most of us are pretty self-sufficient, work pretty hard for a living, spend a lot of time at work. I know I do. So do we quit our fucking jobs and go and protest outside of Washington? Do we just start writing congressmen every day? Do we make phone calls to D.C.? I mean, these are, this is what progressives are doing, right? They have this black block part of Antifa that spends all their time either in gender studies or attacking fellow citizens in order to assert dominance and control and to monopolize force for themselves. So do we involve ourselves in some sort of revolution, whether it's protest driven or, you know, activism of some sort? Or do we rejoin the block of the electorate? Do we start voting Libertarian Party 
as a big middle finger to the two corporatist parties. And when Sarwak was debating Dave Smith, it was the only good point he made the entire time was that, you know what? When, if you don't vote, the Republicans and Democrats ignore you. They're not trying to mobilize you. They're not trying to, they, they don't even think you're paying attention. They think you're so busy in your own lives that you, you didn't even know when election day was, that you're just so uninformed. And they're, they're okay with the uninformed. They can still control that because the uninformed are never going to question their power, right? But those that are informed and step outside of the binary and vote Libertarian Party or Green Party or whatever is a percentage of informed voters that say, fuck you, I don't believe in your two-party system. I'm not falling into line with you. And they take that as a slap in the face. Because as long as you're voting within the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, no matter what they want you to do, no matter which party more closely adheres to their line of thinking, they're within those parameters of the mold, as long as you're within those two parties. One may be further to the right, one may be further to the left, but as long as you fall within those parameters, you're okay. Now get, get outside of those parameters to the right or the left, like Donald Trump or Tulsi Gabbard, right? And the next thing you know, you are suddenly the enemy of the state. You're a Russian asset. You're a Russian stooge. You're an Assad toady. Right? But if that's what they say about Trump, and that's what they say about Gabbard, let's not forget how they treated Ron Paul in 2008 and 2012 completely ignoring him most of the time, trying to pretend he didn't even exist, getting upset when he, when he was winning debates. Well, what if all of us step outside of these parties and look at Jacob Hornberger or Dan Berman as potential candidates. I mean, I, I did an interview with Berman a while back when he first announced, and he was a really nice guy. He's really engaging. He's really smart. He's a little goofy. But, you know, this is a third party. We have a little bit of freedom. We're not expected to fall in line. We got to get people's attention, right? People don't know who the libertarians are. Unless you're a hardcore Misesian, you probably don't know who Jacob Hornberger is. If you listen to Tom Woods or 
Scott Horton. You may have heard him, but are you going to the Future of Freedom Foundation and, and reading their articles regularly? Are you watching Jacob Hornberger's weekly podcast? I mean, most people don't even know it exists. So if those of us who are informed begin to step outside and say, you know what, the real problem here is the fact that there is so much centralized power. And I would rather see a Jacob Hornberger or a Dan Berman in office decentralizing the power, even an Adam Kokesh as a huge middle finger to the system. If, if, the, if the Libertarian Party jumps up from 3% in 2016 to 10 or 15% of the, of the voting bloc, what does that say? That says, I'm not interested in fighting over power. I'm not interested in the political establishment continuing to grow and expand their power. What I'm interested in is you leaving me the fuck alone, individual autonomy, individual freedoms, and I can work within my own community to decide how it is constructed. And I don't need you in my life. So if Sarwak made any decent points, that would be the one point, and I expanded on that a lot more than he did, but that would be the one point he did make that I was like, that's an interesting point. As much as I despise the guy, I'll give him credit for that one, you know? But this is all for each of us to decide on our own. But I do know that I started thinking about this when I saw Hornberger officially announced for president. I knew it was potentially coming, but with the actual event taking place and him saying, okay, I'm in, my consideration is maybe it is worth my time and effort to involve myself in the process in order to make sure that there's a message being sent that we don't want your power or your system to rule over us. We don't recognize its benevolence. We don't recognize it as a greater good. And we are more capable of deciding for ourselves how we want to live our lives than you are capable of deciding for us. So that's pretty much all I got to say on that subject. It was something that I've been thinking about, wanted to get it out there. Sure, not everybody's going to agree with me. That's all right. You're free to choose, man. I'm Tommy Salmons. Late. <laughs>